everybody. All right. The letter of Paul to Philemon. So uh, this is a this is a story. This is a, a letter, but it's also a story. And um, I, I one of the one of the reasons I think most people are willing to get up and teach is because you know we we get to research and we get the benefit from it. Um, and uh, I, I I really enjoyed uh, looking again at this uh, short letter and. Um, I think it's got some cool things for us uh, to hear. Uh, just by way of review, and again, we did talk about some of this in our background to the book of Colossians. Um, it all starts in Ephesus, right? Paul was in Ephesus for two or three years, uh, just to the east of Ephesus, uh, probably about as far from here to the beach, uh, was the city of Colossae. Uh, people often would travel to Ephesus. It was a bigger city, you know, and um, uh, we, we heard about in, um, in Colossae about Epaphras, who was from uh, the city of Colossae and, and met Christ under Paul's teaching in Ephesus. Uh, Philemon and uh, probably his wife and other members of his household also came to know Christ under the teaching of Paul while he was at Ephesus. And uh, so now there's a church meeting in Colossae, and they're meeting at Philemon's house. It's a home church. Um, you know, our church buildings, which, you know, we're very grateful for, uh, but the, the Church of Christ did just fine for about three centuries before there was ever such a thing as, as a church building. You know, the, the church was in the home. It was, a, it was a, a fellowship. It wasn't a building, and that's still good for us to remember. Um, so Paul is there uh, at the time of this writing. Uh, he's now in Rome in prison. Uh, we, there's some question about whether he's in Rome or not, but we think he was in Rome. And um, he's writing letters to the churches there in this corner of what is now Turkey. Uh, he writes a letter to Ephesus, what we know as our letter to the Ephesians. He writes a letter to uh, the church at Colossae, which we just finished the book of Colossians. He writes his personal letter to Philemon, and there may have been a fourth letter to the church at Laodicea, which wasn't too far from Colossae. And then he sends his couriers, uh, Tychicus, who often carried letters for him, along with Epaphras, who's going back home now to Colossae, uh, sends them back with these letters um, uh, for delivery. Uh, this personal letter um, talks about a third guy who's going back, and that is... Onesimus, and we'll get to meet him. Uh, so I'm going to uh, just kind of read this. It, we're talking 20-some verses, and we'll stop a little bit along the way. Uh, it says in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Uh, people believe that uh, Aphia was probably uh, Philemon's uh, wife, and Archippus might have been uh, Philemon's son, who was probably the pastor there at the church at Colossia. Uh, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. 
And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of you owing me, even for your very own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here we have uh, the letter. So Onesimus, we find, was a slave. He was Philemon's slave. Well, how did he wind up in Rome? Well, he was a runaway slave. Um, he didn't just leave Philemon's house with permission. He is a runaway slave who is trying to basically escape from you know, being found by going to the biggest city he could find in Rome. Well, it just so happens, right? It just so happens that he comes to know Christ under the teaching of Paul. Uh, a while back when we went through the book of Ruth, we talked a lot about God's providence. And it's, you know, it just so happens that Naomi was there in the fields. And it just so happens that Boaz came by. And it just so happens, you know, all these just so happens of course, uh, in God's providence. Well, it just so happens that in all the places that Onesimus could have showed up in Rome, he winds up under Paul's teaching. So um, uh, the structure of this argument, uh, as it has been pointed out by some commentators, says that this was like the classic way of, of like building an argument back in the day of uh, Greek rhetoric and so forth. And uh, it says... First of all, and this is still kind of what we do today, right? You begin by building rapport and goodwill with your audience. So Paul's saying, you know, I'm remembering you, I'm praying for you, um, I think fondly of you, um, I'm connected with you, and so forth. So he's building some rapport. The second thing you do is you lay out the facts in a convincing way. So, you know, Onesimus isn't the same guy. He way, I didn't want to keep him selfishly, I, I 
want to have you guys reconcile. You know, so it's laying out the facts. And then thirdly, it says he uh, would appeal to the emotions of the audience. And so we see this in verse uh, 20 and 21. Look, I'm doing this for you. I want, he says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. You know, I want to get this and I want our hearts to be refreshed and I know you're going to do the right thing. He said, I'm confident you're going to do the right thing. In fact, you'll probably do even more than I'm asking. Right? He's really appealing uh, to him on the basis of emotion. And, and that's not a bad thing, right? I mean, this is what's been done throughout history. Right? Um, even back in the, in the day uh, when, um, maybe not in a good way, but we know the story of Jacob and Esau and... and uh, you know, how, do we, how are we going to deceive, you know, Jacob to get the blessing for, uh, I mean, deceive uh, Jacob's dad? Isaac, Isaac. thank you. <laughs> A little brain cramp there. Um, how are we going to deceive Isaac and Jacob, you know, so he's hungry, let's prepare some food, you know, it's all this gentle persuasion, getting your timing right, same sort of thing here. So in this little letter, I think there are several topics I want to just briefly touch on. One is this concept of fellowship, and we'll look at that. The topic of reconciliation. This notion of persuasion. We're going to talk about the nature of grace, and we're going to talk about the providence of God. Uh, those, that's a lot in a little book, right? So uh, look at this verse. Um, where is it? Verse 6. And he says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So this word sharing is kind of interesting. Uh, it is the word koinonia. When you hear the word koinonia, we often hear that translated what? Fellowship. Fellowship, right? Uh, and often that's how it's uh, translated, and I think in the New American Standard, it actually uses the word fellowship. In the NIV, uh, we have this word sharing. Apparently, koinonia can also be used uh, to uh, can also be translated as partnership, as partnership. And you'll actually see Paul refer to in verse 17. So, if you consider me your partner, so right in this verse, we have this concept of what is fellowship, and what is partnership. So it's almost like Paul is already trying to create this instant connection with Philemon, saying, you know, we're in this together. Uh, we're partners together in the same cause. Um, I'm, not your, I'm not your enemy. I'm your friend. Um, Onesimus, by extension, is not your enemy. He's your friend. We're all partners in this together. And that could be one of the points that he's trying to drive home. And this leads directly, I think, to the next topic, which is reconciliation. If you are in conflict with someone that you are partners with, then reconciling that conflict benefits both of you, right? Because you're, you're in some common project. It's to both of your advantage to, to clear the air and to get things reconciled. And and obviously that's a big theme of this, is the reconciliation of Onesimus with Philemon. So just to, you know, I mean, reconciliation is the gospel, right? 
I mean, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians this ministry of reconciliation that, uh, I mean, that's the cross, right? I mean, the vertical beams of the cross reminds us that the cross reconciles God and man. That's the vertical, the horizontal, reconciling us to each other. And that's the theme of, of this uh, passage, of course, but this whole topic of reconciliation. Now, it occurred to me... Um, Paul is basically brokering this reconciliation, right? He is trying to bring these two parties together. Um, sometimes it takes a mediator, a broker, to get two people together. This doesn't just always happen naturally. My hunch is that if Onesimus had just showed up unannounced without Paul there to pave the way, probably would not have gone well, right? It probably would not have gone well at all. Uh, I mean, Philemon, even though he's got a church there, he's only been a Christian probably for a year or two, and, oh my gosh, I cannot believe he's walking in my door, you know, get my gun, right? I mean, this was, this would have been the natural thing. So sometimes reconciliation really requires a mediator to help Get the two parties in the same room and work through this. We talked about peacemakers a, while, a few weeks ago. Sometimes it takes that person. What did Paul say he was willing to do to make this happen? Paul is putting it out there saying, all right, I got it. If you're going to make a claim about all the things that Onesimus owes you, put it on my tab. All right? Put it on my tab. So sometimes this mediator has to be willing to put his own skin in the game, so to speak, right? To invest a little bit to get these two parties together. So I think that's uh, good advice there. Uh, the other point about reconciliation is that sometimes reconciliation is easier when you remember when you have received some grace, right? So Paul is saying, you know, remember... You also came to know Christ under me. You haven't always been so great yourself. You know, uh, not going to bring it up right now, Philemon, because this is probably going to be read in public, but we kind of both know where you, the kind of guy you used to be before Christ. Um, you're a Christian now, right? So just reminding Philemon of who he was in Christ kind of softens your own heart a little bit. Right? Uh, yeah, I'm not perfect. It's the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we forgive others. That sort of thing. Um, and then finally, reconciliation is always easier when you have a common ground and common purpose. And this is back to this partnership thing that, you know, we're, we're all trying to advance the gospel here. We're all in this together. All right. What's this about this persuasion and appeal? So I was uh, trying to look and and see, you know, um, as part of the research, I, said, I wonder if there are any, like, famous quotes about the art of persuasion. Well, of course, there are tons, but none of them really stood, stood out to me. But what did stand out to me was about half of the whole first page were quotes about persuasion from Aristotle, which, given that, you know, Paul often thought like a Greek, I thought was very interesting, you know, this concept of rhetoric and logic. Um, I had a patient of mine this week um, saying that he was in class uh, 
there at UCL about rhetoric and logic. So here we are, you know, 2,000 years later, we're still studying that. And this concept of uh, persuasion uh, was very important to, to try to make your case, to make your argument. And um, that's very much what Paul wants to do. So here's the big idea. When your motivation is right, when it's fair, when it's helpful to the people that are involved, it's okay to ask somebody to do you a favor. It's okay to do that. Um, you can, might want to ask them for a raise. You might want to ask them to change something they're doing to maybe stop doing something they're doing that's annoying you or to start doing something that would be helpful to you, it's okay to ask to do that. Um, it's okay to maybe ask somebody to maybe make a correction, maybe to right or wrong. It's okay to do that. Now, can this be perverted, of course? What do we call it when people ask in kind of a bullying way with extra pressure? Manipulation. Coercion. Coercion. Well, you know how often the pendulum swings back and forth, right? Nowadays, the last thing you want, you want to be called is being manipulative. I think the key is what's your motivation. And it's probably true that in some ways, modern society, we want to be so self-sufficient and we don't want to be labeled manipulative. We probably don't ask things of each other like we should have. I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, you get these random things that show up on your desktop, this article about, uh, from like a survivalist, keys to survival, and you've seen all these preppers and, you know, storing up 30 years of pork and beans or whatever. Um, not that you shouldn't have a few weeks of food, don't get me wrong. Um, but... Uh, it said, here are three survival skills that you need. One of the survival skills they had was to be able to persuade people, to be able to bargain with people. I thought that was really interesting. Because think about it, you know, if, if we don't interact in our usual way, say, whenever the apocalypse comes, whatever that means, um, we're going to have to use each other to get what we need, right? We're going to have to bargain. We're going to have to negotiate. We're going to have to persuade people to help, you know, would you do this for me, right? Um, so I thought that was really interesting, this art of persuasion right here in Paul. And if you, if you want some tips about how to persuade somebody, I mean, everything is right here. Um, so what are the ways? There, well, there's a right way to ask, right? So Paul kind of lays out the ground rules by example. So it's okay to appeal the relationship, right? You know, Joe, we go back a ways, right? We go back a ways. We've known each other for a long time, right? You know, we're, we're buddies here, right? You know, and already you're sensing, okay, he must want something. Well, as it turns out, I do want something. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, it's okay to invoke a little bit of sympathy. Right, look at what Paul does. He says, in verse 9, or verse 8, no, I guess it's 9. I'm an old man, right? You know, cut me a little slack here. I'm old. And plus, I'm in jail, you know? I'm in jail. I'm an, I'm an old guy, you know? You know, if you don't come through here, you know, just think of, just think of what it might do to me here. Um, so it's okay to invoke a bit of sympathy. 
uh, I think it's good to assume the best response in the other person, right? You know, he says, um, verse 21, you know, I am confident of your obedience, which is kind of interesting, right? Because he uses that word obedience, right? So he's like, there's another little persuasion, you know. I could force this. I'm not going to force it. But I'm confident that you're going to do the right thing. In fact, you're probably even going to do more than that. So uh, it's, it's appropriate to assume the best response. Um, it's a fine line, right? You want to appeal to the relationship, but you never want to hold the relationship hostage, right? This isn't in kindergarten where you say, I'm not going to be your friend anymore if you don't do what I want, right? So there's a, there's a fine line there. He, that's not what Paul does. In fact, he even says, you know, by the way, keep that guest room ready for me, right? Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that we're still going to be on good terms. Um, Pastor Wright says to this topic of being manipulative, he says, of course, it's always open to anyone to accuse someone of being manipulative, and people have sometimes wondered whether Paul was guilty of that. But to avoid all attempt to persuade, to encourage, to show people things in a new light because you're frightened of that accusation, it would leave us all free, but only free to be hermits, bereft of all human contact. So it's okay to walk that line and, and to be... And this is where this concept of partnership and fellowship really start to gel together. All right, next point. The providence of God. Look at verse 15. He says, for perhaps, I'm sorry, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Perhaps. Sometimes. Almost always in hindsight, right? Almost always in hindsight, it's possible to look back and to really see the hand of God in things. Um, it's important, though, to always have that qualifier there. If Paul can say perhaps or maybe this is why it happened... I think it's good for us to have those qualifiers too, right? I have a little bit of a red flag for somebody who claims to be, you know, God's hand perfectly in every, you know, we're just not that wise or discerning. Um, but sometimes, as Paul says, again, Pastor Wright says, we can't often look at the details of our lives and see exactly where they fit into the larger plan of God. If we try, we'll either become grandiose, imagining that we are the center of God's universe, or depressed, wondering whether there is any pattern or meaning to it at all. From time to time, though, if we watch in faith and trust, we can glimpse something of what God is about, of what the divine painter has in mind, and when we glimpse it, we are wise to go with it. So I think this is part of what Paul's doing, saying, you know, who could have thought? that this would have turned out. Maybe this is why he's been away from you for a while. The hand of God. Great example of this 
famous verse, Romans 8, 28. We all know it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Or, as some translation, God works all things together for good. Um, Definitely the hand of God, as Paul says, or at least maybe. Here's the thing that struck me out of this whole passage, though, talking about um, kind of the hand of God and and um, how do we look back and see our past. You see this phrase that Paul uses? This is why he was parted from you for a while. Now, what are the facts? The facts are that, you know, Onesimus was probably in the household of Philemon. So when he ran away, it was criminal, it was betrayal, probably involved some theft. How else is he going to make it to Rome without having some means? Um, Very disruptive. Um, This was a big deal. Truly, a runaway slave could be killed. This was a capital offense. Very big deal. Does Paul dredge all that up? No. He says, you know, this is he was away from you for a while. Now you might say that's really gloss over, you know, who knows how long he had been gone, all the betrayal, everything that had been done. And Paul's just saying, you know, he was away from you for a while. Certainly, when you're talking about things like restitution and reconciliation, sometimes you do have to get to the real meat of what the offense was, and you have to make reparations and all that. But I think sometimes we probably dwell on the past way too much. And that it's okay to put that under the blood and move on. I'm convinced that when Paul says in Philippians, forgetting what lies behind, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God. You know that verse I'm paraphrasing here. I'm convinced that the most important part of that verse is the forgetting part. I think we, sometimes the things that we've done in the past... It's Satan that wants to remind us of those, not the Holy Spirit. And that sometimes those regrets are simply just anchors that put a drag on us for sometimes decades because, you know, we can't accept the fact that grace is taking care of all that. And I think that, um, yeah, sure, you know, we're going to all want some do-overs. We're going to all have some regrets, but as bad as this was, he's saying, you know, he was away from you for a while. He really downplayed that because that, the past was not important. What's important is the now and reconciling this person who is now your brother. So Paul really kept Onesimus focused on the main thing. And then, of course, the final thought, which is just you know, is this not a picture of grace? Is this not a picture of grace? Uh, grace is all about us getting more than what we deserve. In fact, it's often like 
you know, what's mercy? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, right? So he's asking for grace and mercy. And when he says, you know, I think you're probably going to do even more than I'm asking. Paul's asking, take him back basically as a slave. But he's implying here that, you know, Philemon, you might just want to set him free. Because, again, I think the implication is you've been set free. You might just want to do a little bit more. Um, again, and, you know, for some books, some commentators just really ring with me, and Pastor N.T. Wright did for this book. He says, What Paul asked for is that Onesimus be accepted back into Philemon's household, both in his former job and as a brother in Christ. That is already, as all three of them know, far most than most owners or slaves would ever dream of. But he hints at something more. I know he says that you will do even more than I say. This can only refer to giving Onesimus his freedom. Like the prodigal son who only asked to be a hired servant in his father's house, he is to be given the astonishing welcome of a son. As with the prodigal son, there will no doubt be some who grumble. Why should Onesimus be rewarded for running away? What has he done to deserve it? But that's what grace is like. That's what God's love is always like. Um, what a great story. You know, I think, you know, sometimes we can learn from Paul because he's given us great theology. But sometimes you just see the heart of this pastor coming through, the heart of when he says, I'm your brother, and so are you, and Onesimus is my son, and all this, you can tell he's really believes that. He's being very personal here. And, uh, you know, I, that's grace. Um, one final thing that I thought was really cool. Onesimus apparently was a really common name for slaves. It meant useful. It meant useful. So if you go back to verse 11... He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I think Paul uses those words on purpose. Um, when Onesimus ran away, he became the opposite of his name. He became the opposite of really what he was meant to be. But through grace in Christ, what did he become? He became useful again. He became Onesimus again. And I think that's where sometimes we look at God wrong. We think he's trying to make us into something that we don't want to be when really... He only wants to make us who we were supposed to be to begin with. He wants to help us live to up, live up to, in, this, in effect, our true name. You know, the name that he sees us as, the name that, in effect, he has given us. That's why he wants to reconcile us, because he wants to make us who we're really supposed to be. I just think that's really cool.
And I think we could all say, before Christ, we were useless, and now we are useful. And isn't it interesting that that is how we're going to be greeted in heaven, right? Well done, good and faithful what? Servant. We were serving. We were useful. You know, I think that's cool. All right, that's Philemon. Any thoughts, comments? Yeah. Do we know what happens? What do you mean? I think probably so, right? Because the book makes it in the Bible. So you got to think if, if it was handed to Philemon there, he might have read it and just kind of crumpled it up. <laughs> said, nobody needs to hear this. Nobody needs to know about this. It's going in my pocket and then into the fire. So I think the fact that we even have the story is probably evidence that there was a, probably a happy ending here. Um, I think that this is one of those that would be really good when we get to heaven and say, hey, i got to hear the rest of that story, right? Yeah. Yeah. What else? All right. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that um, you sent Jesus to reconcile us to yourself so that we could become truly the people that you intended for us to be all along. We thank you for the grace that gets us on that road and for the grace that continues to move us down that road. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.